This is episode 364 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Practically Tactical, Maximizing the Common Shotgun for Defense, and Five Keys to a Self-Reliant Mindset. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you are interested in paying down debt, building up an emergency fund, and having money to add to your preps, then this book might be for you. You can get more information on the show notes or you can come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com to get a little bit more information. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right into our articles for this episode. This first one is a long one, but it is a good one. It's coming to us from the survivalistblog.net. And the, the title, again, is Practically Tactical, Maximizing the Common Shotgun for Defense. A lot of good information here about shotguns for defense. And uh, primarily, that's what he's going to be talking about, not for hunting or anything else like that. But uh, it's a l- little bit longer article, like I said, and uh, it's a really good one. So I hope you enjoy it. So let's go ahead and start. Shotguns are perennially popular home defense firearms in the U.S. for several reasons. One reason is their easy availability and cost-effectiveness. A quality shotgun can often be had for significantly less coin than a rifle or of equivalent grade. Another reason is that many owners default to it because they already own one for hunting or other sporting purposes. And the final, perhaps most important reason, is that a shotgun is capable of inflicting truly impressive damage. At close range, a shotgun with an appropriate load is pound for pound one of the most damaging and effective firearms on earth, capable of creating dreadful wounds with one pull of the trigger, even compared against many intermediate caliber rifles at 30 yards and in the shotgun reigns supreme in its ability to deal out show-stopping wounds. The humble shotgun has much to recommend it, and even in our age of carbine dominance in civilian and law enforcement use, many scattergun fans stubbornly refuse to retire their trusty boomsticks. But some users or admirers of more advanced quote-unquote tactical shotguns may be led to believe that their wood-stocked and blue-steeled brethren are somehow inadequate to the task of protecting home and hearth that only the current breed of hot-rotted, sleek shotguns are capable of performing when the chips are down. While purpose-made defensive shotguns may have significant advantages to offer shooters, the essential characteristics that make shotguns as a class effective, namely dreadful wounding performance and the versatility to tailor a load to your specific needs at low cost, are possessed by pretty much every scattergun. The trick is simply to minimize your gun's shortcomings and utilize a few basic, inexpensive modifications for best effectiveness. With a little care and a lot of practice, even a utilitarian hunting gun or reliable old junker can become a formidable defensive weapon. 
So basic considerations for defensive shotguns. I am presenting the content of this article specifically in the context of defensive use, not weighed against hunting, sporting, or any other use. In short, my recommendations revolve around the shotgun as a weapon of defense first, then everything else. So when you see me preach about getting that long hunting pipe replaced with a shorter barrel or cut down to a more reasonable length, that's why. If you can't, won't, or are unwilling to do that, fine, that's your call. I won't make fun of you, but I recommend what I do for good reasons. My basic take on shotguns as a class of firearm for defense is this. You will give up much in the way of desirable characteristics in all areas except the one where shotguns excel, and that is bone crunching, horror show wounding ability with the right load. More on that in a bit. Shotguns, be they break action, pump, or semi-auto, all suffer from the same basic drawbacks. Low capacity, cumbersome reloading, and with most major gauges, strong recoil. A break-action shotgun will rarely hold more than two shot shells. I see you dudes in the back with your hands up. I know about the Chaapa triple barrel and others. Put them down. A long tube-fed shotgun, rarely more than seven or eight, and even detachable box mag-fed shotties will only hold an average of five or six without employing very long box mags or bulky drum mags. Reloading is slow and fumble-prone without considerable practice. Individual shot shells are bulky and tough to carry. These will be inserted into most shotguns one at a time. Detachable magazines, a comparatively rare feature in the shotgun realm, make topping up the gun much quicker, but the magazines themselves are large and hard to carry at the ready. Recoil is a factor with shotguns, at least if you are using 12 or 20 gauge. Untrained shooters, especially those of slight build, will have a hard time coping with the pounding in practice. While plenty of shooters can handle the recoil well enough, there is no escaping the fact that shotguns, especially manually operated ones, are usually slower to recover with shot-to-shot than other guns. I am not talking about burning up Instagram with your crazy fast splits. I'm talking about running the gun quickly to possess single or multiple assailants with speed. Take into account the fact that when utilizing shot, misses, presents more significant downrange hazards as a single trigger pull can launch anywhere between 8 and 15 or more pellets, each one lethal all on its own. Knowing your pattern, background, and potential backstops is crucial when employing a defensive shotgun, especially inside the home. So with all that to consider, is the shotgun worth messing with for defense? Yes, make no mistake, it may not be a good choice for you or someone else. The learning curve to achieve proficiency with a scattergun is steep and you are dealing with all the shortcomings I just listed. But if your shotgun is all you have, just what you want or all that is available to you, you are far better off embracing it, warts and all, and learning how to run the hell out of it than getting analysis paralysis or a bad case of should I or shouldn't I. A shotgun in the hands of a skilled shooter is damn near the last thing you want to be facing down at conversational distance. A flamethrower is probably worse, but get serious folks, they are really hard on your homeowner's insurance. So with all that being said, 
It is time to stop polishing your worry stone and learn to love the gauge. Below, I'll get into some factors you should consider for your personal shotgun. Some pertain to the guns themselves, others are inexpensive performance enhancements, and still others are things you must consider when choosing ammunition. So a word on gauge. In the context of this article, I am assuming that what you have is what you have, so your gauge is what it is. If you have any choice in the matter or are willing to buy to suit, I would go with a 12 or 20 gauge and give, give much thought to the 20 gauge. If you or a family member who may use the gun are not shotgun savvy. 20 gauge guns are often smaller and lighter than their larger brethren and when loaded with modestly recoiling loads are less abusive to the shooter and easier to run while still being heavy medicine for scumbags. Both chamberings are entirely adequate for hunting and defense are very common and have a wide array of loads to suit any purpose. Of the two, the 12 gauge is the standard and overwhelmingly more popular, but 20 gauge is far from scarce. Other rare or less commonly encountered chamberings include the 16 gauge, 28 gauge, and 410 bore. If you have one of these uncommon shotguns, do your best when selecting good ammunition for defensive purposes, as load choice is limited and all are harder to come by than the 12 or 20 gauge. Always opt for buckshot or slugs over birdshot. More on that later in the article. So considering action, barrel length, capacity, and more. When considering actions, all shotguns have their perks and flaws. Below is a quick list of the different actions you'll likely encounter or already own and what they bring to the table. I have left off bolt and lever action intentionally due to the rarity of both. So brake action. Arguably the simplest to operate, but are hampered by very limited capacity. No chance of feedway malfunction. Often have very long barrels. Older guns less likely to handle modern high-pressure ammunition. Not ideal, but still workable. A pump action. The model of what a shotgun is for many people. Most have a capacity advantage over brake actions. Vulnerable to user-induced malfunctions if pump is short-stroked or meekly cycled. In a semi-auto, less recoil than other designs, easy to shoot well when loaded, but most ammunition sensitive and loading procedures may be more complex than pump action. Whichever action you choose, your biggest hurdle to an effective inside the home shotgun will be barrel length. Many guns intended for hunting or sporting purposes have very long barrels, 22 inches and over is common. A very long barrel makes for risky, awkward maneuvering inside a structure. They may work fine in a protecting place or barricade situation where you do not need to move through the house to defend other occupants or family members in the home, but are a liability any other time. Luckily, most pump action and some semi-auto shotguns have barrels that are very easy to swap for a shorter one. Some brake action shotguns can likewise switch barrel assemblies easily and may very well have a shorter factory option. If your shotgun has a fixed barrel or you cannot come up with a shorter one, you'll be forced to have it cut down to length. I recommend you have this action undertaken by a competent gunsmith as it is a relatively simple job and usually inexpensive. A major concern for nearly any common shotgun is capacity. 
As a general rule, I am happy if I have five rounds or more in the gun total. For a break action, what you have is what you have. Semi-auto and pump action shotguns with two magazines, which is nearly all of them, usually ship from the factory with a piece of rod or pipe in the magazine tube to restrict capacity down to two or three in the tube for hunting regulatory purposes. This is easily removed in most situations, freeing up the magazine tube to its full capacity. Even if it is just one or two rounds, it is worthwhile. Quite a few tube-fed shotguns can accept a thread-on magazine extension that can increase capacity anywhere from one to three rounds handedly. These extensions are inexpensive, often easy to install, and help ameliorate one of the shotgun's greatest weaknesses. Don't forget a stronger magazine spring. Do note that adding more shot shells in the tube increases weight, and moving that weight farther towards the muzzle negatively affects handling characteristics. Regarding furniture, if you have a roll with wood, who cares? You needn't waste any cash on synthetic furniture unless you are concerned with weatherizing the gun. Wood is really in this year anyway. I'm just kidding, but truly, wood furniture is totally fine so long as it is not too slippery. If you are dealing with slick wood forends, especially on a pump, you need to enhance your grip. You can add grip tape to any area of the gun you want after thoroughly cleaning and degreasing it, or even checker it yourself with appropriate or improvised tools. Another option for the grip or wrist of the stock is to wrap and secure a few turns of thin layer around it. This usually gives good purchase and is removable later if you desire. Enhancements and Accessories There is a ton of nonsense circulating in the minds of unwitting shotgunners as to how they really perform and best practices. The worst by far is that you don't need to aim a shotgun thanks to the wide spray of pellets going to issue forth from the muzzle. Malarkey. Even shotguns with wide open bores or minimal constriction will print a much tighter pattern at in the home distance than you are probably imagining. While this still results in a greater hit probability than a single bullet, it is nowhere close to the fire hose effect some claim. You do certainly need to aim a shotgun, and to do that we use sights, even if our sights are nothing more than primitive bead barrels at the end. For close range, beads often serve just fine, but the vast majority of stock beads are tiny and hard to see even in good lighting conditions. To rectify this, look at a replacement front sight for your shotgun. Styles vary, but the best will be large, rugged units with a sharply contrasting color scheme or insert. Installation will vary depending on your make. Some thread in, others install over an existing bead, and still others epoxy or solder on. A great upgrade and a typically inexpensive one. Whatever type of shotgun you have, Consider additional ammo carriage on the gun mandatory. Keeping a shotgun fed and topped off is a full-time job, and in a typical home defense encounter, you will have exactly no time to toss shot shells in the pockets of your Iron Man PJs or strap-on belts, bags, and other accruement. The most prominent pump and semi-auto shotguns, think Remington 870 and 1100, and the Mossberg 500 and 590, and the Benelli Super 90 series and M4, etc., have aftermarket shot shell carriers that fit on their receivers, often called side saddles. 
They work well, but nice models that will retain their shells upon firing can be expensive. If you want to spring for one, go for it. You won't regret it. Another option is a lace-on or elastic shot shell cuff that rides on the stock. Don't use slings that hold shot shells for this purpose. They are too unwieldy and hard to load from an unbalanced gun. I know they have that rad 80s action movie vibe, but pass on them. If you don't want to use or cannot use a side saddle or stock cuff, here are a few things I do to save money while still getting excellent performance and the ability to use a universal carrier across all my scatter guns. First, purchase yourself a few shotgun cards from ISTAC, then a roll of industrial strength Velcro kit. The shotgun cards are fabric and strong elastic side saddles with a male Velcro backing. Good gear and only about $15 a pop. Next, select a mounting location on your shotgun. Typically the side of the receiver opposite the ejection port, but the stock can work if you want. Next, clean and degrease the daylights out of the mounting location. If you think it is degreased, do it again. Wait until totally dry and then apply a strip of female or soft Velcro to the mounting location according to the manufacturer's instructions. Allow it to fully cure and blam. Stick on a reserve of ammo and detach it at will. These work great for multiple guns of different makes. I know some of you already have reservations about this, wondering about its ruggedness, longevity, or something similar. I get that. So did I, until I rolled with it. I used that exact setup on my shotgun for years and years, and my primary shotgun would often go well past one year of near constant use, rain, snow, mud, and more, before it needed replacement. The Istat cards themselves are very tough, and the elastic is very long-wearing and grips the shells tightly. Get you some. Another option you must consider is adding a light to your shotgun. Long guns for defense must have a light, if at all possible, as using a handheld with one is a recipe for frustration and failure. You need both hands to run the gun. Sure, fancy tactical shotguns have rails galore that you can have a purpose-built weapon light on, but your trusty field guns usually don't. This is where the DIYer can make the difference by attaching a clamp, piece of rail, or something else to securely hold a light in place. Here are a few key principles before you go at this all willy-nilly. First, do no harm. Do not attach the light or mount to the gun in such a way it might hinder the action, sighting, or manipulation. Think carefully before attaching a homebrew mounting solution to the forend of a pump shotgun. Second, choose your light carefully. The recoil of shotguns will bust lesser lights in short order. LEDs are more rugged than incandescent. If you have or can afford quality lights like Surefire or Streamlight, use that. The Surefire's G2X series lights, while not offered as weapon lights, are very tough. Third, place your light where it can be easily activated by your support hand thumb or index finger. There are many ways to accomplish this. I have used a few methods with success on a more or less permanent basis. You can screw or epoxy a rail section onto the forend. Attach the light to that directly or by using a ring mount adapter. Alternately, you can use a barrel clamp mount, positioning the light just ahead of the handguard. 
For the desperate or very cheap, I have myself seen a handheld light attached to a shotgun by way of hose clamps. It held up well enough. If you are really, really in a pickle, a few strategic wraps of heavy-duty duct tape can fasten a light to your shoddy, but aligning the light to shine where you want it will take a a little fidgeting before you commit. Obviously, this solution should be expected to degrade faster than the others, and don't blame me if your buddies rib the hell out of you. With a small investment of funds and a little craftiness, you can significantly improve the most important of your shotgun features. All right, so ammunition selection. Your only real choices for defensive loads are going to be buckshot in one form or another and slugs. Forget birdshot. This is another commonly cited piece of pigeon religion that birdshot for home defense is a good idea on account that it will not penetrate walls or penetrate more than one wall. It stands to reason that if birdshot won't penetrate drywall much, it will not penetrate people adequately and adequate depth of penetration is key to effectively stopping a human being. The inconsequential mass and diameter of each tiny BB or pellet equates to tiny wound channels. Sure, birdshot can cause pretty nasty looking wounds, but they are superficial in nature. You must not count on the intruder simply giving up because he's been shot. We must seek to stop him on our terms, and we accomplish that by dealing out serious wounds. Don't convince yourself that birdshot is in any way ideal for defense or listen to anyone else that does. While we are talking about non-optimal loads for defense, also forego any novelty shot shell such as fletchets, bolas, dragon breath, or any other nonsensical ammo. This stuff makes may make for legendary YouTube fodder, but has no place in a shotgun stoked for serious social purposes. If choosing buckshot, the old standby double lot is certainly effective, as are most other sizes of buckshot but you'll actually get maximum tissue destruction as calculated by the frontal surface area of each pellet creating its own permanent cavity by utilizing number one buckshot. The biggest issue with number one buck is that it can be tough to find on shelves in most loads and really tricky to track down in a duty or defensive specific incarnation. Slugs are a viable choice for home defense But their greatest strength, high penetration, is also their biggest weakness as many makes of slugs, especially Brenecki slugs, will penetrate deeply even through multiple intermediate barriers. This can be mitigated somewhat by a selection of a slug load designed for reduced penetration. If using only a front bead sight, you must put in the time to learn exactly how a given load, slug, or buck will shoot to your sights. You will have little or no ability to zero the load to the gun and the time to find out how buckshot patterns or if a slug hits high or low is not 3 a.m. with windows breaking and dogs barking or after the balloon has gone up and you are desperately fending off looters. Precise slug usage at anything beyond medium range will be very challenging if using a bead only. Pay particular attention to the pattern of shot from your gun at different distances. This is vital information to help prevent collateral damage from errant pellets. Remember, every single one gets a home and it's all on you. To understand what a given load or of shot will do in your scattergun, set up your target at close range. 
fire around, then draw a line connecting the outermost pellets. This shows you a coarse representation of size and density of a given load. Next, back the target up, or you move back, by a few yards. Shoot again and repeat the process, increasing the distance by the same increments until you notice your pattern getting too wide for comfort. This will show you your max effective range for keeping all pellets on target of varying sizes as well as give you some ideas of what you can expect if taking a shot at extended ranges. So here's some pointers and tips. The single most important thing you can do to improve your effectiveness with a shotgun is practice. Manually operated shotguns must be practiced with until running the action is second nature as any bobbled or weak cycling may induce a malfunction. Many teachers drill students on reloading relentlessly for good reason. Shotguns run out of ammo quickly. Especially when using a brake action or other ammo limited gun, you must practice reloading the gun fully and topping it off. As the old saying goes, if you aren't shooting, you should be loading it. Come up with some dummy rounds that simulate the weight and balance of a live shot shell to practice loading safely at home during your dry fire regimen. Take care that you do not mix loads for self-defense unless you have no other choice. Their patterning or accuracy may be quite different from one to the next and semi-auto guns do not cycle all ammo equally well. Do not be afraid to add a good recoil pad to the stock of your gun if practice becomes painful. If you don't practice, you cannot hope to get good. Shotguns, especially non-semis, pack a wallop on both ends and I will attest to feeling pretty punch drunk after a good day of training and that was with a tuned and ported shotgun with low recoil buckshot. Additionally, you can wear a shoulder pad under or over your clothing to help mitigate some of the pounding you will take on the range. You may decry it as unmanly or as artificiality, but if you are not able to train, you will not get better. So in conclusion, you don't have to own a state-of-the-art tactical shotgun to use a shotgun for defense. Most shotguns can perform adequately in the role if you have the ability. They aren't magic wands and they aren't good guns for the untrained, but they are certainly effective and can be made more so with dedicated practice and a few conservative upgrades. Stop worrying, start practicing, and make the gauge work for you. Do you use a shotgun for defense or general preparation? What makes and models do you like best? Do you have any upgrades you consider mandatory on your defensive shotgun? Let us know down in the comments. So guys, uh, there are 18 comments. And of course, you know, these types of articles always get a lot of good comments and people offering other advice in the comment section. So if this is something uh, that is very interesting to you, maybe you are in the market for a shotgun. Maybe you're in the, the market for a shotgun for different, you know, for, for home defense, but also for hunting, you know, and sport and all that. Kind of like what he was talking about. I mean, this specifically was dealing with a home defense and the smaller barrels, but, you know, you can easily find some that you can, uh, where the, the barrels are, like for instance, Mossberg, it's just a simple little uh, twist of a, of a screw and you're just switching off barrels uh, and you can find them a lot of the times at, uh, you know, gun shows, uh, very easy to find. The only thing that I'm going to add here is a butt pad makes a very big difference. 
And uh, I, I know he was kind of like, you know, hey, if you might be unmanly or whatever. I know he was talking about the shoulder, uh, having a shoulder pad or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, changing out a butt pad, if you, you have a, a rifle or shotgun that is just, you know, just doing a number on you, uh, it might be well worth it to go invest in one. I've shot the same type of shotgun, one with uh, a butt pad that was very, very... Um, you know, you, you know it, it was nice. I mean, it was fairly new or whatever. And then one that didn't have one at all. It was just, you know, the stock up against my shoulder. And uh, there was such a big difference. And so uh, that might be one that you might want to invest in. I know he didn't spend a whole lot of time here, but, uh, you know, having a recoil uh, pad or a butt pad on your on your rifle makes a big difference and so uh, if you're if you're in the market for purchasing one you might want to take that into consideration and then if you are uh you know maybe you have uh you know received one you know inherited one uh that maybe it was your father's or grandfather's or whatever and if that's something that you can add to it uh, especially if it's one of the more popular ones there's probably a lot of accessories out there that you can that you can add to it but anyway, good article over here at the survivalistblog.net. And again, if you are interested in home defense and having a firearm for home defense, um, considering a shotgun, you probably want to come read this article just a little bit more carefully. The only thing that I would have added uh, other than, than kind of highlighting that uh, recoil pad or that butt pad just a little bit more would be some pictures I think would have been uh, helpful uh, of some of the things like when he was talking about the rails and things like that I would have liked to see that but there's a lot of information on the internet and this is a good one here to start and so like I said if you are looking if you're in the market for this and, and you are looking at the world and in uh, your your community and just crime and you're like you know what I do need to spend uh, you know two three hundred dollars uh, on on a you know on a defensive shotgun um, you know, you probably want to come read this article just a little bit more carefully. All right, guys, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, like always. All right, so our last article comes to us from timgamble.com. This is a very, very short article. Um, I did want to uh, just read it and uh, to kind of get you thinking uh, about uh, self being self-reliant and being prepared. And, uh, you know, there might be some of you that are hitting this podcast and you're you're hitting it and you're fairly new maybe you've listened to a couple of episodes uh, maybe you haven't decided if you're going to subscribe or not um, you know but this is one of those things that's very important because when we talk about preparedness when we talk about the, the well when we talk about the mindset out there a lot of people believe that the government can take care of you the government is coming that there are you know that there are plenty of organizations out there that will come to your rescue and in a lot of the times they do when when disasters are localized right like when hurricane harvey hit down here the gulf coast was ravished and we had a lot of people turn out right but you think about it we had like hurricane harvey florida puerto rico the virgin islands were hit and uh, I really haven't heard too much about the Virgin Islands, but I know that it was getting pretty desperate. People were, you know, they were resulting to uh, violence and different things like that for, uh, you know, looting, looting the grocery stores because they knew that they were on an island and what was going to, uh, what was there on that island was probably going to be there for a while. And so if you have all these things happening all at one time, the government cannot handle that. And if it was a truly uh, a big disaster, you cannot count on the government. And even even that, 
when you came to Hurricane Harvey, a lot of the people or a lot of the people that were helped early, early on were it, it was other people. It was the public. Um, we had, you know, like uh, the Cajun Navy coming from Louisiana and helping out uh, here in Houston in, in, in the Gulf Coast. Um, as opposed to the government really kicking in. Now, I mean, our local first responders did a great job, but you just not, cannot count on the federal government to make any quick decisions and come in with rescue. So when it comes down to being self-reliant, you need to have the mindset that it is your responsibility. And so this article is going to touch on that very briefly. So let's go ahead and start reading that. The core of prepping and survivalism is the building of self-reliance as individuals, as families, and as communities. More than just knowledge and skills, self-reliance is first and foremost a mindset. It is a willingness to do as much as we can without outside assistance. That's a definition by John McCann in his book, Practical Self-Reliance. People have long identified four or five keys to a self-reliant life. These keys are in how we think. They are, number one, assume responsibility for your own life. Don't wait around for the government, society, your parents, union leaders, community organizers, or anyone else to take care of you. Don't sit around whining that life is unfair or that someone else has it so much better than you. Learn to take care of yourself. You're in charge of your life, so act like it. The single most important thing you can do to survive any future chaos is to start taking responsibility for your own life now. Number two is take the blame for your own life. We all make mistakes. Own up to yours. Don't scapegoat others. Don't pass the buck. If you are blaming someone else, you are not being self-reliant. Even when things happen beyond your control, such as you being robbed or being laid off or even your house burning down, you are still in control of how you react to those things. Number three is be informed. It is your responsibility to find out the facts and information you need to make informed decisions. Pay attention to the world around you. Keep up with current events. Keep up with the trends in your industry. Know where and how to get information. Ask questions. Be a lifelong learner. Remember the acronym ASK. Always seek knowledge. And number four, know where you're going. Know yourself. What are your beliefs and values? What are your goals? What is your purpose? What do you hope to accomplish? What is and isn't important to you? Don't just drift through life being aimless. Think, plan ahead, and take careful aim and action as what you want in life. And number five, make your own decisions. Don't let others run your life for you, and that especially includes the government. Don't wait around for others to make the decision for you. Don't worry about what others think of you. Don't worry about being politically correct or socially acceptable. Don't give in to peer pressure. Don't just go along to get along. Be informed of the issues and decide for yourself. Make your own choices. Above all, don't be indecisive. Failing to make a decision for whatever reason, fear, uncertainty, lack of confidence, is a decision and a bad one. Take responsibility for your life. Know what you want. Gather what information you can. Decide as best you can. Act on the decision and let the chips fall where they may. If it happens not to work out, at least you can accept the blame knowing you did your best under the circumstances. All right, guys. Like I said, short article here, but something to really get you thinking. You know, so many people 
go along with the crowd. They just go along with what they see on social media. They see they go along with what their friends are saying, and a lot of the times it just it's just thing. It just people start to parrot what other people are saying, and they they really have never thought things through. And that's one of the things about self-reliance is you think things through. You find out what matters and, and what's important and you're making decisions. That's why sometimes those of us who have been prepping for a while and we believe in self-reliance, we forego some of the things that other people, I mean, being in education, I'm hearing and, and being back in uh, the swing of getting ready for the new school year, people are coming back from vacations. I'm hearing about all these great things that that they're doing right all their all the the great trips that they've taken i'm like wow some of these trips are just totally amazing i'd love to be able to go and and do some of these things that they that they did but right now the money that i have you know is going towards other important things Uh, like my kids you know going to going to college and paying for things that are needed and a lot of the times, you know, other people that are out there and they're taking trips, they're they're taking loans. I mean, I heard someone mention that they you know, they should have taken a loan for a trip. And I'm like, you take a loan for a trip, and then you've got to work your butt off all the rest of the year to pay, you know to pay it off. And you you know that all that. Uh, I, I guess you have the experience, but the the joy of of taking that trip, you might regret that later on. You know, and so. There's decisions that we make now so that we can have a better future later on. And, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do for yourself. But remember that ultimately you are responsible for yourself. You know, government is not responsible for you. I don't know, at some point, you know, in our history, government took on that role. And that never was supposed to be the the way that it, it, it panned out. It was, you know, you are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your family. You're responsible to take care of them and to make decisions that are going to help your family survive in that future. And so just one of those things to be thinking about. Maybe you are new to preparedness and hopefully that begins to ring true with you. And uh, you begin to you know, say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense that I need to be responsible for my own life and for my family and I need to take care of them. Guys, again, that's over at TimGamble.com, and I'm going to link to that one in the show notes as well. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 364. Thanks so much for hanging out with me on this podcast episode. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to the Prepper website, podcast.com, and that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and if you are finding value from this podcast, I would appreciate uh, a great five-star review over on iTunes, that is just you know, makes my day every time I see one of those come across, and uh, you know there on iTunes and even Stitcher as well. Uh, you know it lets other people know that you value the podcast, and uh, when they're deciding, hey, do, should I spend my time downloading this podcast or should I even you know go into it and, and listen to it? You know they can make an informed decision. And uh, again, like I said, it's it's a true blessing uh, to me when you do that. And I know I, I do want to say this as well. Someone emailed me and asked if I was receiving their purchases on Amazon. If you do want to support Prepper Website and the Prepper Website podcast, you know, I, I do have that ebook and you can choose to purchase that ebook. But, you know, I don't have a Patreon or a donation button or any of those types of things. I, I do say, you know, I would love for you to, to uh, support the advertisers on Prepper Website. 
But if you do buy from Amazon, I would greatly appreciate it if you use our link. It doesn't cost you any more money, but it does uh, provide a little bit of, or a small, a very small percentage, and I'll, I'll say a very, very small percentage, but it all seems to add up uh, on your purchase. And so, uh, you know, that uh, I am an Amazon affiliate, and so I really do appreciate that as well. And, uh, with all of that, if you haven't connected with me on social media, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm trying to stay uh, top of mind out there, trying to you know, trying to post out there on a regular basis. Sometimes things get crazy. This week has already started off and is is, is going to be a very long week, and it just seems like a very long day as well. But uh, I try to stay out there as as much as possible. Sometimes, like I said, I disappear if things get kind of crazy for me. But I do love to connect uh, with other listeners out there. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, so if I have that in the show notes or you can come over to the prepper website podcast.com and uh, we can connect that way. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until tomorrow. Stay prepped and aware. Peace.